Appreciate you guys more than you can possibly know. Well, the song we sang presupposes that we have a teachable spirit. Amen? In the 50 years of ministry overall, I have come across a lot of people who are hard-headed. <laughs> and they're not very teachable. There was a pastor over New Hampshire and he categorized his people not in a bad way but just so he could concentrate and he had his PTP people which were his um, VTP I'm sorry his very teachable people these were the people who wanted to learn then he had his VOPs which were very ordinary people they, they come they got their sticker they're going home <laughs> that's pretty much it and then there was the VUPs, very unteachable people. They were the ones who would always argue with everything you had to say. And there would always someone out there who'd say, the sun's shining. No, the sun's not shining. It's cloudy out there. <laughs> Sky's blue. No, it's not blue enough. You know, it's just always someone who wants to argue with somewhere along the line. But I would, and I, and I believe here at Calvary, we have a lot of people who have very teachable spirits. And so we're still on that overall topic of got to get your feet wet, meaning you got to take that first step. Today we're dealing with, a, with the word pilgrims, which I'll share in a minute where it came from. Not pilgrims, but where the message originated from. It originated right here on a Sunday afternoon in Brother Steve's message. <laughs> so Hebrews 11, 8 through 16, our key verse is verse 13. And the Bible says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. How do you feel? Are you a sojourner? Because that's what we're dealing with this one. We're dealing with sojourners. Yep. Now, sin changes everything. Sin changes everything. Even if you, as a child of God, exercise First John Chapter 1 and verse 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when, when sin is let loose, it changes something or someone in our lives. And we have this tendency to categorize sin into white or black, small or big, egregious or innocent. However, Sin is sin and iniquity is iniquity. And it changes the character of our fellowship with God regardless of our classifications of it. A little white one. No such thing as a little white one. A lie is a lie. Iniquity is iniquity. And so to some folks the act of disobedience and disbelief of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden may have seemed disproportionate to the consequences that they brought on themselves as well as humanity. Seeing it from God's perspective, and folks, that's what the Bible, do you, you realize what the Bible is, is, is really, the Bible is here for us to see things from God's perspective. Amen. Amen. Mark that when I, when you say, Lord, I want to see your perspectives. And, and I'm not going to read into it, Lord. I want you to read into my heart through the word of God. And so seeing it from God's perspective and, and his desires to have a pure unencumbered relationship with his creation makes a world of difference. 
sin, a, a single act that seemed like a no biggie, was a multifaceted sin that took place in the heart and the soul of Adam and Eve. So to them, it may have seemed like one thing, but it manifested th three characteristics of the human being, which we'll cover in the, in the body of the message. But it was a multifaceted sin that took place in the heart and the soul of Adam and Eve. It was a sin that involved three areas of the first couple that would rage, would rage on through humanity in that we have inherited that same sin nature from them. Guess what your mom and dad gave it to you? You gave it to your children and they'll give it to their children. It has been that way from Adam and Eve all the way down. Just read Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. So these three areas are found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 where it says there, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And again that is amplified uh, in uh, John chapter 1, verses, First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 15, and we'll get there in a little bit this morning in the second point. And so, here we are, admonished what not to do and what our priorities should be concerning God and this world. Last week in Brother Steve's message, where I picked it up from, uh, which was a very good message, he mentioned in his elaboration a simple phrase to this effect, and that's the way preachers are. They're, they're listening to a sermon and all of a sudden something pops out of that. Now, hopefully some things pop out too, besides your eyeballs or something along the line there. But something will pop out in your heart, uh, as it did to me. And uh, uh, mentioned in his elaboration, a simple phrase to this effect, we have become too comfortable in this world. You know what happens when you go and visit someone and you overstay your welcome? because you've gotten comfortable. It won't be very long before they begin to realize that they are not. The host is not comfortable. But what examples um, we have in Hebrews chapter 11 and the, and the impact that genuine faith has on the redeemed of the Lord who choose to live by faith so they can please God. So if you don't live your life by faith, you can't please God. You can do and do and do and do until the cows come home, until the moon falls. But without faith, you can't please God. The degree to which we choose to live our faith, that is the degree to which we can and will please God. Or the degree to which we will diligently seek him for his plan and purpose for our lives. We must never forget that we are sojourners, now that we are saved and the character of our life lived here is, de is a determining factor in the nature or character of our life in eternity. Sojourners is what we're looking at this morning, so don't, forget, don't get comfortable because this world is only a temporary place. We're going to close, I think, with uh, this world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. So it's only a temporary dwelling place. And that's true of everybody because there's going to come a day when this earth is going to be dissolved. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation chapter 21 and 20, uh, chapter 20 and 21. New heavens and a new earth for the former heavens and the former earth were passed away. As well as uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. And so, we need to understand that everything that we accumulate here because we think it makes us happy. 
or that it brings us happiness. When you go, it's going to be left behind to make somebody else happy. Or so they think along the way. Father, help us as we look to the message this morning. Guide us and direct us so that, Father, you'll be magnified and that you'll be glorified. Lord, we thank you for each and every individual, young, young people and young adults and alike. We pray today that all of our eyes, from the senior most to the youngest, the eyes will be open, the ears as well, and the heart receptive of the things that you'd have us to, to be appraised of from your word. So, Lord, bring about your perfect desires, bring about your perfect result. And, Father, we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the honor and the glory, whether it's to salvation or to rededication. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sojourners is the first point, sojourner examples. Now, I don't know about you, but I like examples. Now, I, when I, how many of you like going to Costco's? I don't know if they do it at Sam's Club, because I don't go to a Sam's Club. How many of you go to the shop or to actually get a meal? Because <laughs> they have all these little... But some of that stuff over there I wouldn't eat anyway, let alone buy it. But the wife likes it. She likes to go through and, and, and snack on this and snack on that a little bit along the way there. But uh, I like examples and I like samples along the way. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're not going to read all, but Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 all the way through 40 is really all about faith. The vitality of faith. The importance of faith. The, the, the absolute necessity of faith. If you, if you want to live a life that pleases God, and let's say most of the time we, we make choices and decisions that please us first and foremost. That's human nature. But there should be a spiritual aspect of our lives that simply says, but I also want to make sure I'm pleasing God, I'm glorifying God in that same process. Because there are things that we do that may please ourselves that really doesn't please God. Amen? But I guarantee you that if you're seeking to please God and you, and you, you seek to magnify and glorify him, then you will be pleased with that as well. So we will not cover all 40 verses, obviously, but we will lift out some of the finer points to see the power of a life that is lived by faith in God. And that's what we're talking about, the power of a life lived by faith for God. That's important. So I want you to note Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, now faith is the substance of things hope, uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained what? A good report. Now, but you, we're all going to stand before God. It says so in, in, uh, in, uh, in Romans. It also says it in, in Corinthians that we're all going to stand before God and give an account of ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to have a good report. I can look back on my childhood, my teenage years, especially when I, when I, I did not want to bring my report card home. <laughs> I was not what you call a great student. I was very immature. I just simply was not a good student. The things that I loved, I did well in, but the things I didn't like, I just kind of, kind of fluffed them off a little bit. I managed to graduate, by the grace of God, when it comes right down to it. But I know, but when I stand before God, I want to give a good report. I want to have a good report to give. Or if I don't have to give it, then I want God to be able to say, uh, or the Lord Jesus Christ, to the judgment seat, give a good report of, of my life lived as a child of God. And so in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, especially verse 2, the by what of verse 2 is the word faith in verse 2. So you're going to get a good report by faith. Folks, you, you, could, you could come in here and you could paint these walls, you can carpet, the, clean the carpet, do all, all kinds of things in this church and, and be the best neighbor and charitable up and down one side and down the other. 
that is not necessarily done by faith. That's goodwill. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. I mean, we ought to have goodwill, amen? Uh, things need to be done. We can help people. We need to help people along the way there, and that certainly is, is good. But we're talking about here what we do by faith. What we do by faith. The things that we do by faith. The choices and the decisions. How they impact our lives. And we, and, we, and we say, okay, this is what the Bible says. I don't like it. I don't want to have to listen to the word of God. I want to do my own thing. And God, you're going to have to like it. And God said, no, I know. I don't have to like it. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, when we come and we say, you know what? I want what I'm about to do. The decision and the choice I'm about to make. I want to be able to magnify and to glorify God. And I want to do them by faith because I want, I, I want the power of God to rest on my life to be able to accomplish what it is that God wants me to accomplish through these things that I prayed about. So what did they attain to? The Bible says a good report. And now that's in the aorist tense, passive voice, indicative mood. Now when we say it's in the aorist tense, it means it's having begun at some point, such as salvation. Amen? The day that you got saved, the day that you received Jesus Christ, you began that walk of faith. And that faith has to grow. You can't have a thimble-sized faith. Now, you may start out in, in your Christian life with a thimble full of faith. But by the time you've been saved for five or six or ten or more years, and you ought to have a bucket full of faith. Amen? And so when we say it's in the air, so they haven't begun at some particular point. Passive voice means this is something that happens because something else produces a result. The unsaved, they may have faith, but only, only as far as they can test it and prove it. That's not what he says here in Hebrews. In Hebrews it said, these people, they embraced it, having seen it afar off. God made the promise. They accepted by faith that God keeps his word. And said they never saw it in this lifetime, but now they're in heaven and they, they, they saw it the day that they, they breathed their last breath. And so passive voice means that, that as, a, as a child of God, through the word of God and through my walk with God and the, through the preaching and the meditating on the word of God, then my faith is, is growing. It's increasing along the way there. And it is something that happens to me because I have, been, I have been saved by faith. Not by works, but I have been saved by faith. Well, when it says it's in the indicative mood, it simply means it's a simple fact. It's passive. Listen, if you don't step out by faith believing God, then nothing's going to really happen. Right? I mean, nothing really godly and great is going to happen because you don't have the power. But when we step up by faith, and God usually wants us to, to exercise faith, not in those places that we're comfortable, but in those areas where we may be a little uncomfortable. And we know that it's an act of faith when we step out and do those things. So approximately 16 times, now don't go through and count them all, pay attention. Approximately 16 times we see 16 verses with these two, with these two words, by faith. By faith Enoch, by faith Moses, by faith Abraham, by faith all the way down through. By faith. They stepped out by faith, not because God piled all those promises right here. He made the promise. They believed God. And the, and the Bible says that for Abraham, especially that for Abraham, because he believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. And so... By faith. And then in other verses, we see others who are mentioned where faith was the operative motive to why they did what they did. Whether it was Rahab. Now, Rahab was, was a pagan, really. She was a, she was a part of the Canaanite uh, uh, religious system, if you will, worshiping idols and so on. But when she entertained the two spies that came in here to spy out, the, she became a believer. And so by faith, she did what she had to do. So... The main point is that faith in God was a life-changing factor 
that moved individuals to do and to make choices that ran contrary and counter to their fleshly desires. Faith will move us to step beyond our, 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 our flesh, the weaknesses of our flesh, or even the contrary desires of our flesh. Faith will cause us to step beyond those, as uncomfortable as it may be. And so, Hebrews 11, 23 through 28, we're not going to read all those, but we'll just start in a little bit here. Moses had two choices. Let's look here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse uh, 23. Uh, in verse 23, it says, uh, well, yep, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, who was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. That's amazing. Once we're stepped out by faith, all fear seems to disappear. But it goes on and says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. So Moses had two choices, to continue to live in the lap of luxury. Now, who wouldn't want to live in the lap of luxury? I mean, he was, he was, he was in Pharaoh's palace. He had servants. He had plenty of food. He had plenty of leisure time. He had to do whatever, whatever he wanted. I mean, for a kid growing up in that kind of environment, then he had a mate. And then you can see those poor Hebrews out there working uh, to the to the to the working their flesh to the bones and the heat and, and and doing the servant and the servile work that needed to be done in order to make Pharaoh's buildings and whatever else he had to make, and so uh, he was in the lap of luxury. And it says there in verse twenty four again, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He could, have stood, he could have stayed there in Pharaoh's company and had everything he had, maybe even someday becoming head of Egypt. But the other choice was to live a life of faith in the riches of God. To live the life in the riches of God. Verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect uh, unto the recompense of the reward. I can go for the gusto here, accumulate, hoard, fill my barns, fill my garages, fill my property with all kinds of trinkets and toys and whatever else I want. Or I can live my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not that God doesn't want, God's not against nice things. But to be consumed with those things at the expense of no time for God. Because last time I checked, things cost money. And with this economy, those things now cost more money. So it would seem that we have less to spend all the way around. And as it would be, Moses said, you know what? What God has for me in eternity is more valuable than anything I can accumulate in this side. He said, besides that, when I go to the grave, somebody else is going to get it. Someone else is going to take care of it. And if you work hard for what you consider your treasures... And you hand them off to somebody else who didn't work very hard for them. What do you think they're going to do with it? It's a windfall. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 says, By faith Enoch. What did Enoch do by faith? Please God. 
Enoch pleased God. The very first couple of verses we looked at, for without faith it's impossible to please God. Without faith. Without faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I can spend my, my entire lifetime accumulating as much of this world treasures as I can possibly accumulate. And I'm going to leave them all behind when the rapture occurs, when, when, when the Lord comes back and gathers us unto himself. All that stuff's going to be left behind. An unsaved world is going to have a heyday with whatever it is that you've left behind. Hopefully it's not family members. But they're going to have a heyday. I'm taking nothing with me except for what God resurrects from the dead or changes in the, in the, in the midst of the rapture. But the Bible said, by faith, Enoch, please God. This was God's testimony of Enoch. What would, I mean, if, you, if God was to give a testimony about your life, what do you think it might be? <laughs> Not what you'd like it to be, but in reality, what it would be. Amen? What would it be? So what do we learn from this? That faith is the only means by which we can please God. It's the only means. No doubts, no I wonders, no perhaps, but absolute faith. Absolute faith. Think about it. What has God ever done to any of us that would cause us to question him? Oh, I just don't believe God would do this. I just don't believe that God would come through. I just don't think God is capable. He created the air you breathe. Amen. He created the heavens and the earth and galaxies beyond our galaxies. Systems beyond our systems. He created all that. He just spoke them into existence. So what do you think he can handle in any aspect of your life? So faith in God is the operation by which the greater our faith, the closer to God we get. See, you can't get as close to God as you might like to be without an exercise of faith. That, listen, Enoch's faith was so great. I believe he was so intimate with his faith between himself and God. The Bible said that God translated him. Earth, you're not worthy of Enoch. His love for me pales in comparison to anybody else's. And he brought him home to be with him. And he has been walking with God in the presence of God ever since. The infallible word of God is indispensable to a life lived by faith that will please God, that pleases God. How are you going to be able to please God if you don't know what pleases him? How many of you ladies don't know what pleases your husband or pleases your husband? You pretty much had an idea, amen? You also know how to push his buttons, I'm sure, as well, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, but the idea is to please your husband. Husbands, don't dumb up on me now. How many of you know what pleases your wife? And do you seek to do those things that please you? And does she turn around and say, huh, you're just trying to get on my good side. Right? No. Is she thrilled? Is he thrilled? Is he excited because of that? You did something that pleased her and, and she did something that pleased you? Please, pleasing someone draws you closer to them. Now, I don't mean in a silly, foolish way, but in, a, in the sincerity of heart. In a loving relationship, we minister into each other to meet their needs. And, 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 and 
the, the reciprocity is good. Or is that, is that right way to use that word? The reciprocal or something of that nature anyway. But anyway, um, faith is so important. So the word of God is indispensable to our spiritual growth and faith. John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus' prayer for the redeemed of the Lord is sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. When you're reading the Bible, you're reading the truth of God. Not the truth of man, you're reading the truth of God. Because there are things that are put down here that, that a man would not put in there without indicting himself along the way. And so something interesting about that thy word is truth, sanctify, and, and that is that it's in the aorist tense, which again, it has a, a beginning point. It's in the active voice, which, which means that you have to participate in studying. Amen? 2 Corinthians 2.15 begins with study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly divided whatever. That word study is a verb. It also is in the uh, uh, aorist tense, uh, present, I'm sorry, present tense active voice imperative, but here it's in the aorist, aorist tense active voice, but it's in the imperative mood. It's a command of God. And so we have to put ourselves in the place where we're actively reading the word of God. So the main point of Hebrews chapter 11 is that those mentioned would not, nor did they desire to live by a so-so hum-hum faith. They lived a vibrant life of faith because they decided to trust and believe God for not only the simple things in life, but learn more about him by diligently seeking him. Now, listen, did Abraham do everything perfect? No. He was a sinner saved by grace. But he learned from his mistakes and he moved forward. And he began to embrace God by faith. And so a powerful second point of Hebrews 11 is found in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were sojourners. So, saints in a foreign world. John, 1 John, just over a couple of books. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And we're getting there. 1 John chapter 2, 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now he's talking about an inordinate love here. Now about 10 o'clock at night time, I love my bed. But I don't love it more than the Lord. So if there are pressing things in the office, I'll spend time down in my study than I would going to bed early. But there are things that we can enjoy in this world. There are things that we can love. But we have to learn to put priorities on those things that we claim we love. And none of those priorities of the things that we love should ever come between our priority of loving God. Which means if it's between our love for God, the exercise of our love toward God and love toward the things of this world, God comes first. And so, these several verses in, in John chapter 2 reveal the conflict every human on earth has wrestled with and will wrestle with when it comes to the exercise of our love. It is between the lusting of the flesh and the quickening of the spirit. Lusting is the lack of, of or unwillingness to control one's ability to love ordinarily. In other words, we have to be able to put priorities on our love. 
such as 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, love not the world, is the idea of replacing one's love for God with things of this world, of this temporal world. I like, to, I like to read my Bible, but I've got something else I want to do right now. Maybe I want to go fishing. Maybe I want to go boating. Maybe I want to go do this. I want to go do that there. And, and I'll catch up with How many of you postpone your devotions for later? What happens with later? The next day you say, I got so busy. You see, the devil loves it. He loves that. And so God takes a distant second place or a reserved place in our lives, uh, whereas a, a reserved place in our lives, uh, should we not have anything else going on in our lives? And so in other words, uh, if I have time, Lord, I'll go to church. Uh, Lord, if I have time, I'll, I'll read my Bible. Lord, if I have time, I'll pray. You know, Lord, I'll... And we have all these where God takes the back seat in our lives. How many spouses want to take a back seat when it comes to being loved? Wives, you want your husband to love you. And I, and I mention this in the vows, usually when I do a wedding. Is it's your wife, and I teach it during the premarital counseling, is your wife has got to know that there is no other woman in this world that she would love more and want to do more for her than any other woman in the world. That includes your own mother, men. You can love your mother, but sometimes mothers can get in the way. <laughs> Amen. And so can some fathers get in the way as well. And so, it isn't that we can't or, or, or should not have other interests. We certainly should. But those other interests should never, ever take a precedence over or come between our love and devotion to God. Never, ever. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, where, where it says there, And the world passeth away, and, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth for what? Forever. He's stating here that all this love that you're pouring into the world, all this love you're pouring into worldly things, guess what? All that stuff is never going to bring the satisfaction that a good, solid, sound relationship of faith in God can bring into our lives and into our hearts. And so, this fallen world is not capable of providing long-lasting happiness or joy. No, it's not. You can't, can't do it. Only God can do this when he, when he is the love of our life, when he is the love of our heart. He, he is the one who brings us the joy. He is the one that brings us the happiness. Even when we're going through the difficult things in life, that strong bond of faith in God, we find satisfaction, we find contentment, we find sufficiency, we find the fact that we're just loved. And so, either God is going to dominate our hearts or the world. And this is what we need to be working on in our lives each and every day. Because one day, we're going to stand face to face with him, having wasted our lives on the temporal rather than on the eternal. It didn't take Adam and Eve very long to realize the terrible mistake of their choice in the Garden of Eden. Of dissing God, throwing God under the bus, while they believed Satan. Genesis chapter 3 and verses 6 through 9, and, and it, it didn't take them very long before they realized that they were naked and afraid. An emotion they did not have before they disobeyed God. All of a sudden, out of the, out of the, out of the clear blue sky, that which God wanted to protect them from, they were guilt-ridden over 
when we obey God, there is no guilt. There's no negative action of our consciences. But when we obey him, our conscience is strengthened and we are encouraged. And so they knew instantly when they had disobeyed God that all things had changed. That goes back to what I said before. Sin changes things. Sinful choices, sinful decisions change things. And so it won't take us but a nanosecond in time when, when we leave this world. We'll know instantly if we wasted our lives or not. We'll know instantly. Do you think even for a second that if it wasn't important for us to love the Lord our God more than this world or anything in this world that God would have placed such an emphasis on love, not the world? The first word love, there's two words in there. It was used twice in there. It's the same word, but the grammatical structure is different. The first one, love not the world, it is in the present tense, active voice, imperative mood. It's imperative that we do not get caught up into loving this world more than God. That doesn't matter whether you're talking about a hobby or a business or any other aspect that your life is involved in. If God is not the center and you're not doing what you're doing to please God, then you're missing the point. It is imperative because to not do so or to work on prioritizing our love will have eternal consequences of some nature. Not a loss of salvation, but something for sure. So here's the reality as we close of God's plan. Turn to 2 Peter, just back a couple of epistles here. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. I titled this little one here as poof. I think we all know what poof means. Here one second, gone the next. Poof. Poof. And so we look in chapter 3. Some of us are like the first several verses here right up until about uh, uh, verse 5. But we're going to jump beyond that. And so nothing of the temporal nature of this earth or things in this earth will you take with you into eternity? Nothing. The redeemed in Christ are now just sojourners. Heaven is our home. Earth is our temporary home. And if I have a temporary home, if you're a renter, you don't go out there and make elaborate and lavish changes to a house that you're renting. Because when you walk away from that, you're not going to get anything out of it. And so we can be busy for the Lord, and in faith, serve God here now and send things on ahead of us like souls being saved, bucketfuls of prayer, all kinds of service like giving out tracts, sharing the gospel when we can, being a part of serving through the local church, serving in the community. So the question is asked in verse 11, but verse 10 first says this, but the day of the Lord will what? Not shall, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works uh, that are therein shall be burned out. Now, the question is asked in verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, the word conversation means incomplete conduct. It means your, your physical demeanor, your verbal demeanor, if you will. 
head to toe, epidermis to the most inner part of your being. <laughs> this is what it's talking about here. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all, in, in all holy uh, conversation and godliness? Well, um, do you have the right answer? What manner of Christians should this make you to realize that? You know what? Why am I investing so much of my time, an inordinate amount of time, on things of this world that are just going to be dissolved? Why? When I have an eternity. And in eternity, God has things he wants me to do. And if I'm faithful here, then he's going to give me some pretty sizable responsibilities over there. And he's going to equip us to do it too. Well, verse 12, uh, the scripture says, They're looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The global warmness are going to get their wish. <laughs> but we'll be gone. We're going to be raptured out. And so verse 11, and should our, should, should our, what should our, our continual focus be? Our, our focus should be on the great reunion in heaven. The Apostle Paul said, I said, I'm betwixt two, staying or going. He said, if I had my choice, I'd go home to be with the Lord immediately. That's the kind of love that he had for the Lord. Not because he had a hard life. Because he endured those battles through faith and love. Well, verse 13 says this. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So the real treasure, the real joy and incentive to love the Lord our God here and to be faithful and to serve him faithfully here is what he has for us over there. And then verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be what? Do something. Get involved. Make it a priority. Be diligent. Make sure that you... Keep on keeping on for the Lord. Growing in faith. Grow every day by faith, by faith, by faith. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blame. The peace is between you and the Lord. You know, when you're walking in obedience, there's peace, isn't there? When you're walking in disobedience, there's no peace there. There's no peace in the believer's life. You can fake it. You can put up a false facade, but there's no real peace. Real peace comes from walking in obedience by faith with the Lord. So, verse 14 is how we should want that day to be. And the question is, are you ready? Because it's going to come whether you're ready or not. And so, in the meantime, let's look at this way. There's still time to work on our faith issues and our priorities, and our love of the Lord before it's too late and time is no more to do the things that we need to do. Father, thank you for this time that we can be together. Lord, again, we thank you for the patience of your folk. And, and Lord, we're living in a time, Lord, in, in a day and age where, Lord, even among churches, the priorities are all askew. Uh, Lord, they're, they're misplaced. And Lord, we need to be a beacon Lord, as individuals, we are light beams that are being sent out from the local church 
taking with us the gospel of light, the gospel of hope, the truth that others may see. And Lord, they can see and witness the work that you are doing and accomplishing in our lives and our hearts because it's being manifested in an outward ministry. And Lord, they acknowledge that, listen, that's not human. That's just not human nature. And Lord, they come to the conclusion, if they give you an opportunity to share it with them, that it is the work that the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit of God, and that the Word of God is doing in our hearts and our lives. But Lord, the world really needs to see men and women of absolute faith, who are, who, are, who are willing not to compromise, but are willing to say, well, I'd like to do this with you today, but you know what? We've got revival meetings at church. I'd like to do this, but, uh, you know, we've we, we got this church on Sunday, and we've got this, and we have this going on to church there, and, and uh, you know, if, if, if you could schedule a different night, I, I could be involved, or I could do this, and I could do that. But, Lord, we blow off church like it's a nothing. We blow off our, our devotional time as if, we, did, we have better things to do. Lord, help us to realize that these are, these are not the things that someone who is in love with you would willingly do unless they're carnal, unless they're fleshly. Oh, Lord, they just don't take you very seriously. Oh, Lord, with heads bowed and eyes closed, we'd ask and pray today that, Lord, you will guide and direct. But without heads bowed and eyes closed, you'd say, Preacher, I am saved. I have been saved. But God has spoken to my heart. And Jesus really hasn't been a priority in my life lately. And I know I need to make some changes here. And preacher, would you pray for me in closing? I'm not going to point you out. But preacher, would you pray for me in closing? Because the day's coming. I'm just telling you right now. Don't, 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 when that trumpet sounds, don't stand there looking with a dumb look on your face saying, Oh, the pre preacher was right. I'm right because I'm preaching the word of God. And so you've got to make a decision. Am I going to start today so that I have to look dumbfounded when the trumpet sounds? Preacher, would you pray for me in closing today? I know I can do better. I know that I can have a passion for God that rivals anything. Because when you get a passion for God, my friends, I'm going to tell you something right now. Your passion for others is going to grow. Man, you're going to be able to love your wife with more fervency. Why are you going to be able to love your husbands more fervently? And, and, and preacher... Pray for me today. Pray for me. Pray for me today. They say, preacher, I'm not even sure I've got a home in heaven today. Would you preach for me? Pray, pray for me today. Would you pray for me today? Pray for me. At home, you can make the same choices and make the same decisions. But I want you to know this, that there's coming a day. There's coming a day. And we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And you're going to see the Lord face to face. And I think you have a, a, a mental image already of what that's going to be like based on how you've chosen to live your life. Preacher, pray for me today. Well, Father, we thank you for the sign that we can be together. And if you go into the communion service, we'll pray that you'll guide and direct. And Lord, this is an opportunity for us to reflect on why it is that we're here. The hope that we have. The love factor that we experience in our relationship with you. That this is not just something that we do mechanically. But Lord, this is something that we desire. This is something that we do with a passion. We come to worship and to praise and to sing. And then we come together to be mindful of all the blessings that you have in store for those who are faithful and obedient in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Steve, Dan, can you make it? And AJ.
I forgot to talk to you beforehand here. Uh, the Bible says here, and I'm going to read this to you, so we'll just have the prayer from the individuals here in a minute. And the Bible says, Therefore, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, uh, uh, we are chastened of the Lord, uh, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together, eat, carry one for another. Now, communion service is for the redeemed of the Lord. If you have been saved, you participate. If you're right with the Lord, you participate. If you're not saved and or willing to get right with the Lord because there's a besetting sin that you're not willing to relinquish, let this pass you by. This is only about a remembrance, but it is the believer who is remembering what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and me. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to reflect and remember what you've done for us, Lord, on the cross, and thank you for your body, which is broken, Lord, that we can have forgiveness of sins through what you've done for us, Lord. Thank you, we praise you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name.
cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, this shall be with death for the child of the And we'll stand the same with stands of blessed be the die that binds our hearts.